Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Beth Hill. I sing with the quartet and the chancel choir. Let us prepare our hearts for worship as we bow our heads for the prayer of invocation. God of all wisdom, renew our sense of awe and wonder as we gather before you, the source of all knowledge. Make your word known to us and stretch out your hand to touch us. Draw us away from our own devices that we may truly listen to the witness of all creation speaking of wonders we have ignored. Give us eyes to see beauty all around us. Align us with truth and righteousness. Quiet our scoffing and awaken our trust. Show us the disciplines we need to stay in touch with you each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us praise God through our worship.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs indeed, yea, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Let us worship God. As Christians, we have taken vows of loyalty to Jesus Christ. We have made promises and words that have not been lived out in truth. Too often, we are more interested in pleasing ourselves than in pleasing God. Trusting in God's grace, let us now confess our sin. God of all worlds, we confess our arrogance in turning away from the knowledge you offer and the relationship with us that you desire. We make light of your commandments and scoff at discipline and boundaries as if they do not apply to us. Our tongues reveal our ignorance before the vastness of your truth. The words we speak in error spread poison that cannot be contained. Our waywardness is destroying us our complacency before evil within us and all around threatens life itself. Oh God, we cry out for forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. We can rejoice knowing that the judgments of God are ever tempered with mercy. God understands our weakness and is acquainted with our needs. The grace of God is sufficient to cover our sin, for God's power is made perfect in weakness. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ, we are 
Now let us affirm what we believe by saying together the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So I'm going to invite the children to come forward now as we take a few minutes to share the peace of Christ with one another. grateful that we have once again the opportunity to baptize not just one but two children today two brothers who are before us today the Watkins family we're so grateful that we have this opportunity to rejoice once again in the covenant of baptism to be reminded that we are the children of God and that God by God's grace has welcomed us into God's family we rejoice in being able to make promises. Uh, parents make promises. The family of God make promises so that we may covenant to be the people that these two boys need in their lives such that they may know through our life uh, what the life of Jesus Christ is all about. And so we are grateful for that, grateful to have our children here to be able to witness that as they perhaps can reflect on their own baptism as well. So Julia and Carl, we're so grateful you're here and I would love to ask you these questions as you bring Pierce and Patrick before us to be baptized. Do you reaffirm your own faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, do you? Do you claim God's covenant promises on your children's behalf and do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation as you do your own? And do you now unreservedly promise and humble reliance upon God's grace to set before Pierce and Patrick an example of the new life in Christ? 
And do you, the members of this congregation, in the name of the whole Church of Christ, undertake with these parents the Christian nurture of their child so that in due time they may confess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you? And will you endeavor by your example and fellowship to strengthen their ties with the household of God? Will you? Let us pray. We thank you, O God, for your work in our lives. We thank you for the sacrament of baptism, that we can be reminded that we have known your grace from the very beginning, and that we are surrounded by the family of God, and that your Holy Spirit is already at work, seeking to draw us closer and closer to your son, Jesus. So be with us, attend to us, as we baptize these two young men. In Christ's name, amen. burp. <laughs> Pierce Scott Watkins, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, this one's a little heavier. <laughs> Patrick Allen Watkins, child of the covenant, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How about we sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. You ready to go for a walk? On behalf of Family Ministry, I am a, I get to welcome you and little Pierce and Patrick into the family of faith with your whole big family here at church. And uh, we know that as parents, we're not the only ones that influence our kids. So your family here and the children will walk beside you as you um, as we nurture your child, your children into into our our fold and to get you on your your way. I have a little Bible story book for you, Patrick. Yeah, and your certificate, and for Pierce too, and your certificate of baptism. Congratulations. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for these two young men. We're grateful for your grace upon their lives and pray that they may know 
that grace every moment of their life and that they may reach out and claim it for themselves. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, good morning. Nice to see you all this day in this time of worship. We're grateful to be gathered together and to know of God's grace in our midst. What a wonderful way to begin uh, with this wonderful baptism and to welcome two children into our life. Uh, they have made their way off to do Impact Kids. And uh, if you have children still in the pews, they're welcome to go with them. And then uh, just a note to parents who are attached to those kids. Uh, you can go upstairs afterwards uh, and there will be a little open house for you to sort of see some new spaces up there and to get connected with other parents uh, so that you can enjoy some fellowship as well. So that'll be right after the service upstairs in uh, room 208 in the second floor of the education building. We're looking ahead for a few things, and one is World Communion coming up on October the 3rd. That still seems a little bit a ways, but we are gathering pictures. You may recall this from last week. We're looking for people to send pictures to us of their favorite place in the world and a picture with you in it. So uh, for those of you who have a picture of yourself in a place that you most love in the world, send that to us digitally. If you don't have a digital copy, bring your print to us in the, in the office. We'll make sure it's a digital copy, and we're gonna make those available to our congregation in our preparation for World Communion. Deadline is this Friday, so help us out with that. We also call your attention to the back of the bulletin for our daily readings. Our emphasis this year is in the beginning was the Word, and we're gonna be taking a look at at the scriptures and we invite you to be about a daily reading. There's a little app you can put on your phone. You can hit that baby every morning and read one or, one or more of the lessons and allow the scriptures to be a part of your daily discipline as you seek to be closer and closer to Christ. Uh, for those of you who are viewing on Comcast, channel 189, one last chance for you to let us know that you're doing so. If you've already done it, you don't need to do it again. But if you haven't, please call our office, and that number, I believe, is on your screen, 941-225-3315. We're still trying to find out what what size our viewing audience is and how we can best respond to you. So hopefully you'll let us know by calling that number on your screen. And lastly, on page eight and nine of your bulletin, you will see the pictures of those who have most recently uh, joined the church. They have been with Mingi and her new member boot camp, and uh, they have learned about membership here, and they have responded to the questions. They have been received as new members, and I'm just going to read through all of them. Some of them are here. Some are coming to the 10 o'clock service. Some are coming to the 11 o'clock, but we want to, if, you, if your name gets called, please stand up and remain standing so we can welcome you into our life. Cameron Goulash, Evelyn and John Hudson, Luann and Rick Nelson, I believe all those folks were at other services, uh, Randy and Oren Weissman, 
Thought they were going to be here today. Oh, there they are, right over there. Stay standing. Uh, Monica and Jeffrey Steiner. I saw them back there somewhere, yes, along with their children, Max and Claire. Stand up, wonderful. And Sue Gordon, I think Sue's usually back there. There she is. Would you give these people a big round of applause? And We are so grateful to have you in our life together and we bless you as you uh, join with us shoulder to shoulder as we seek to carry out the mission of Church of the Palms to love God and to love neighbor. Let us continue our worship. Bye. 
Let us now continue to worship God in prayer. Our most gracious and loving God, we are grateful for all the ways you protect and sustain human life and create unity despite our real differences. On this day, we especially give you our thanks for our new members. Continue to bless them as you have blessed them in the past, we pray. We pray that you'll bless them in life, in study, at work, and in ministry, we pray. Together, may we be a family in faith, responding to your call and doing your mission in the world. Great God, we lift up our memories of 9-11 and pray for the family and friends of those who lost their lives that day. We are still grateful for the bravery and sacrifice of those who went to help. Grant that these memories may continue to bind us together in our nation and with all who seek justice and peace. Almighty God, we pray for all the suffering people in the world. Especially, we pray for the people of Afghanistan, Nigeria, Haiti, and Myanmar. Grant peace for the people of these troubled places, we pray. Help us to listen for the voices that build up rather than tear down, that uni unify rather than tear apart. We are grateful, O oh Lord, for some decline in the numbers related to COVID-19 infections and death. We pray that this pandemic might come to an end soon. We ask for your protection for those who are on the front lines of the medical responses. Keep them safe from sickness and disease, we pray. God of mercy, we ask you to give your healing blessing for those who face illness and distress of any kind this day. Be also with those strangers who need our help. Gracious God, make Make us be your instruments of caring and comforting presence in this hurting world, we pray. Be with those who are grieving, lonely, isolated, and afraid, we pray. In all of this, help us to love you, love neighbors, and love one another. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this moment of gratitude time um, to God, I would like to invite all of us to join the psalmist in Psalm 116, verses 12 and 13, saying, What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I lift up the cup of salvation and I call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Now I invite us to continue to give to God's ministry and mission by sending a check or online or putting our gifts and offerings in the baskets at the doors. Gracious God, we long to be faithful givers, modeling ourselves on you who have given everything to us. May your spirit of abundance, which gives more than we ask or imagine, grace these gifts for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
seated. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from the gospel according to Mark, the eighth chapter, verses 27 through 38. Hear the word of God. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and looking at his disciples he rebuked Peter and said get behind me Satan for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. Amen. One of the wonderful things about reading the Bible is that you are always discovering something new. There is so much in the Bible to learn and discover, and there is absolutely no chance for you to exhaust its findings. There is always something else. I've been reading the Bible for a long time, preaching and teaching in the Bible for about 40 years, and there's always something that comes up, and I say, I never saw that before. One such example of this comes with this text that I just read to you from the Gospel of Mark. Most of us know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The last one, John, the Gospel of John, is very different than the first three. John tells the story of Jesus quite uniquely and for very different purposes, less to summarize Jesus' life and more to emphasize the deeper meaning and teaching of Jesus. But the first three are there more to which we call the synoptic gospels, which means synopsis, which means summary. These gospels are there to summarize the chronology of Jesus' life and ministry. They each have borrowed from each other and from other sources material to tell the story of Jesus. In many respects, they're similar, these synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in many respects, they're different. And it's always interesting to note how different each of the gospel writers tells the story of Jesus. 
what they include, what they don't include, and even the sequence in which they lay out the story of Jesus. Mark, the gospel writer, is believed to have been the original gospel writer and was, and was borrowed from by Matthew and Luke. So, I said I found something I'd never found before. And this week, what I found was that when Mark tells the story about Jesus, asking the disciples about who they think he is, and Peter responding with his bold confession of faith, you are the Messiah, Mark precedes this story with a story that is also unique to his gospel, the story of the blind man receiving his sight. I preached on this story a few months back, and what is so unique about it is that the man receives his sight in stages. Jesus puts saliva in his eyes, and the man can see, but he can only see a little. He sees people, but they can only, you know, they only look like trees to him. And then Jesus then puts his fingers on his eyes again, and the man finally can see completely. In other words, sometimes it takes a while for God to fully open your eyes. Sometimes it takes a while to see what has been right there in front of us. Which explains, perhaps, what happens in this story that I just read about Jesus and Peter. This is the turning point in Jesus' ministry. He's far up north in the northern regions of Israel, and he's preparing to turn his face to Jerusalem and make his way there to celebrate the Passover. But before he does, he wants to hear from the disciples who they think he is. And a few of them venture some guesses and reveal some polling data, but then Simon Peter steps forth and says, you're the one. You're the one, aren't you? You're the one that we've been waiting for for centuries, for generations. You are the Messiah. In other Gospels, Jesus blesses Simon Peter and says, blessed are you, for your eyes, like that blind man, have been opened. But then, Jesus goes on to explain a little bit more about what it means to be a Messiah. The Messiah is going to go to Jerusalem, and he will suffer at the hands of the elders, and he will be killed, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, Peter does not see it that way. Peter does not see this in a Messiah. Peter does, won't see a suffering Messiah because it's not what Messiahs do. It's not the Messiah paradigm. Messiahs don't suffer. Messiahs don't die. No way Jesus, Peter sees. It's all fuzzy, but he can't quite make out the fact that a Messiah can be a suffering Messiah. It's okay for a Messiah to heal, teach, walk on water, but not okay for Messiahs to suffer. And Jesus let loose with his severest of all rebukes. Get me behind, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, you, Peter, are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. You see, but you don't see. So I want to talk for a minute about seeing and not seeing, about having your eyes open, but only just a little. When I was 16 years old, I knew a lot. <laughs> I mean, I knew a lot. 
I knew how to bring about world peace. I knew how to drive. I knew about current events. I knew a whole lot more than my parents. I knew just as much about God, and I was beginning to doubt God. I knew that the St. Louis Cardinals were the best organization in the world, and I knew that the Michigan Wolverines were the far superior team than the team down south. They, I was fairly certain at the age of 18 that most adult things were dumb. I knew that they were just dumb. And I knew, ironically, that everything that I knew was pretty smart. I knew the people I had to impress. I knew the people I didn't have to impress. I knew who to ignore. I knew so much when I was 16. And then, in a very short period of time, the following things happened. Two of my teachers called me in and told me that I was on the verge of failing. Hmm. And then my girlfriend dumped me. Hmm. And then I wrapped the family car with the family in it around a telephone pole. Hmm. And then my basketball team went on a nine-game losing streak. Hmm. And suddenly, somewhere along the way, I began to entertain the surprising thought that maybe, just maybe, I did not know as much as I thought I knew. I was learning things I didn't know were there to be learned. I'll say that again. I was learning things that I did not know were there to be learned. I was seeing, oh, but I had so much more to see. One of the joys of ministry is being given the chance to perform the marriage of a couple. It is so much fun to do weddings. And what most, what most pastors will tell you is that the part they enjoy most is not even just the wedding part, which is fun in itself, but the conversations that take place beforehand in pre-marriage counseling. It is a joy to talk with a couple about their relationship, about their love, about their commitment, about their hopes, about their dreams. And, and every couple, at least the ones I've married, think they know more than they really know. They know more about love, they know more about each other, they know more about commitment, and they think they know more about these things than they really know. And for the most part, there's no convincing them otherwise, that when they promise to each other that they will be each other's loving and faithful spouse, in plenty and in want and joy and in sorrow and sickness and in health, that they really won't know what that means until much further down the road. They see Oh, but there's more to be seen. They will learn things they did not know were there to be learned. So there's good old Peter, who's been walking around with the same rabbi for the past couple of years, and he's been seeing things he's never seen before, and it's taken him to the point of discovering something that he never thought he'd ever discover, that this is the Messiah. The Messiah is in our midst, that God has shown up in this person, Jesus, that the one who has been there in front of him for years is actually the one amazing how something or someone can be right there in front of you and you can't see it. Like when I'm looking for butter in the refrigerator. <laughs> Peter sees Jesus, but he doesn't see him. Now here's the thing. When Peter's eyes are opened and he sees the Messiah, what he doesn't know is that his eyes are not opened all the way. 
There are things to learn that he does not know are there to be learned. Messiahs suffer. This Messiah suffers because this Messiah is love. The king of kings is a loving king. The king of love is a suffering king. In fact, the very nature of love is the willingness to suffer for another. But, but you don't know that about love until down the road. It, it's not something you learn until later. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, writes the apostle. I know two sisters who thought they loved each other. And they did for as much as they knew about love, but then as they approached middle age, one of the sisters developed kidney disease. And the only way to avoid lifelong dialysis or death was to have a kidney transplant. And lo and behold, it was her sister who was the perfect match. So the perfectly healthy sister gives up a perfectly healthy kidney so her other sister could live. And it's no fun. Transplant surgery is no fun. And it hurts. And it's hard to recover from. And it makes the healthy sister vulnerable for the rest of her life but she does it. And they both tell me later, we thought we knew what love was, but we didn't know until we suffered together. Love is not something you learn until you suffer. A father friend of mine would agree, he who sat up endless nights with his little girl sick with leukemia, holding her when she could not be comforted he who stood post at her bedside as the doctors informed them that there was nothing more to be done. He who watched her breathe her last. I never knew, he said, what love was until now. But Peter tells Jesus the Messiahs don't suffer. And Jesus says, well, Peter, you really don't see, do you? Love always suffers. Maybe it's what Aeschylus, the Greek poet, was saying when he wrote, God whose law it is that he who learns must suffer. And even in our sleep, pain that cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart. And in our own despair against our will comes wisdom to us by the awful grace of God. And for God, wisdom always comes through love. So God appears always through love. God's glory is revealed always in love. Jesus mounts the cross, and in the most surprising of all places, a death chamber, God throws back his arms and reveals his love. Flannery O'Connor, the great 20th century story writer and novelist, wrote an essay once about peacocks. O'Connor raised peacocks on her Georgia farm because for her, they were a sign and symbol of God. She wrote that usually when a peacock does his thing, lifts and widens his back feathers, the response from those who see it is silence. Awe, stunning silence. You've seen peacocks and it's amazing. But peacocks, O'Connor goes on to say, are not usually doing their thing 
you have to wait. You have to wait and watch. And most don't want to wait and watch. They tire of waiting. They leave and hope that maybe the peacock will be doing his thing when they come back. And if they've never seen a peacock do his thing, they just can't imagine what it might be. But when it happens, silence. In one of O'Connor's short stories, a clergyman witnesses a peacock unfurling his feathers and says, Christ will come like that. Which is to say, I suppose, that Christ is the one we wait for, and Christ is the one who reveals to us that which we do not yet know. And what Christ reveals most is the nature of God's love. And Christ teaches us things about love we never knew were there to be learned. And Christ invites us to love like we've never loved before, by giving of our lives, by giving of our kidneys, by giving of our passion, by giving of our very all, by suffering with those who suffer. For this is the love we cannot know until further down the path the love that springs on us with his furling feathers, that if we wait long enough, we see. If you love someone long enough and deep enough, suffering will come, and we will learn what we did not know was there to be learned. Richard Selzer, a plastic surgeon, tells the story of a patient whose surgery under his hand did not go as planned the result being a nerve in her face mistakenly severed and her mouth unable to straighten. Selza recounts the moment at her bedside along with her husband when he delivers the bad news. The young woman speaks, will my mouth always be like this? Yes, he says, it will. It's because the nerve was cut. She nods and is silent. But then the young man, the husband, smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. Dr. Selzer continues, all at once I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth and I so close can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I remember, he continues, that the gods appeared in ancient Greece as mortals, and I hold my breath, and I let the wonder in. There are things to be learned we do not yet know are there to be learned. We see, but there is more to be seen. We love, and with love comes suffering, wisdom from the awful grace of God. All for those who wait, for love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Oops.